Welcome or welcome back to the Bridge Churches podcast, where we are committed to building irresistible bridges between the unchurched and Jesus Christ. We are so glad that you're here, and wherever you're listening from, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. How's everybody doing this morning? Come on, how you doing? Everybody doing good? How many of you have had more than three coffees already? Yeah, all right, you're with me. Okay, I've had six, so I'm ready to go. Uh, I'm really excited about this. So glad that you're here. And before we jump in, I just got to quickly say, I don't know if you've noticed, but this room and this group just keeps getting fuller and fuller and fuller and fuller and fuller. And you guys, um, yeah, keep keep coming out. I guess uh, some things aren't open today and you came, but we are so glad that you're here, man. We absolutely are just amazed. We, for Christmas Eve, you probably know this, but we brought in more chairs because we were expecting more and more people to come to our inn over Christmas Eve. And believe it or not, we didn't remove those chairs because more and more people have been coming both to this service, also the nine o'clock service. More people are joining us online. And we are just thrilled at what God is doing and excited that you are a part of that and to be able to share it with you. So we're thrilled that you're here with us today. And if you are joining us, as Chris mentioned, if this is your first time, we're so thankful that you're here and that you've taken the opportunity to be with us. We are so, so honored and privileged to have you. Hopefully our time together so far has been encouraging to you, uplifting to you, wherever you may find yourself on your spiritual journey. And we also know that there are many joining us online from home uh, for various different reasons. We have people that are still tuning in all across the country. We have people out west that log on. I get emails from people just thankful for the ministry and what we're continuing to do together. So for all of it, thank you so much. And thanks for being a part of it. Thanks for being here today. And uh, today we're gonna jump in and continue um, this series series we've been in for the last few weeks. For a couple of weeks, we've been doing this series called Words to Live By. And if you're joining us for the first time, what we're basically doing through this series is we're looking at the writings of both Dr. Seuss and Solomon, and we're discovering together how their writings give all of us, give each of us words of wisdom to live by. In part one, we looked at the famous, oh, the places you'll go. Last week, we looked at the more obscure Yertle the Turtle, and today we're going to look at what pet should I get. And before we jump in, I just want to quickly ask, if you've been here for the, you know, this entire series, or if today's your first time, just quickly, survey of hands, and you're welcome to play along at home. But how many of you grew up with pets? Just really quickly, wave them loud and proud. You grew up, the quick, quick look around just to see. Okay, the majority of people in this room, that's interesting, the majority of those people in this room grew up um, with pets. We did not. I had a younger brother, so that was enough. Uh, at least that's what my mom said. We, we played with him every once in a while. But no, we, we, had, uh, we didn't have pets. And, and so it wasn't until uh, many years later, like I'd read this story, what pet should I get? I'd read this story many, many times as a kid, but I didn't have the experience that the kids in this story had. Like I never had gone to a pet store. I never had the, you know, the options of what pet are we going to pick. That didn't happen for me until years later. Um, in fact, it was just a few years ago that Lisa and I, my wife, we jumped in the car and we drove to the east side of Ontario. We drove down a, a long, um, just one lane dirt road. Um, we came up to a farmhouse. And before we got to the farmhouse in the distance, we could see in this field by the house what looked like a whole bunch of big black bears. Um, but as we got closer to the house, it turn, turns out it wasn't bears. It was actually what we were looking for. It was a, a whole field full of Bernese mountain dogs. And so we, got, we drove into the, the driveway, and as we did, um, all these big um, dogs started converging on the car. It kind of felt like we were at Park Omega, if you've ever done that. And like, they're all like, carrots, carrots. You know, they're all coming to the car. So all these dogs are coming on the car. We're like, I don't know, like, if we don't want to hit them, how do we get out? You know, the big 100, 120-pound dogs coming at us. But they're so cute and so fun. And, and so we got out, and we were just running around. 
around. And then the owner came um, to meet us and she took us over to the barn where there was a kennel and there were all these cute little Bernese Mountain Dog puppies. And Lisa and I instantly, like we just melted, we fell in love. We were like, we want them all. Like we're like, just give, just give, we'll take all of them. And she said, no, you, you know, you can pick one and, and on this whole deal. And so we got down and we were playing with these dogs and we were having so much fun and we were talking to the lady about, you know, what to expect and, and, and answering, you know, and asking all kinds of different questions about what it's like to have one of these dogs as, as a pet. And so we were doing that whole thing. And, and as we were playing with all these different puppies and we were having so much fun, there was one puppy in particular who caught my attention. And as again, I was playing with all these other puppies and then this one started walking towards me and, and I reached out my hand and I'm like, hey, little buddy. And just as I was about to pet him, he just stopped. And he laid down and rolled over and just basically went like this, like, like rub my belly, right? And, and so I did, I, I kind of leaned over and I started rubbing his warm little belly and he looked at me and I looked at him. I looked into his little eyes and it was like this soundtrack started playing like, oh, like, and I knew, I, and I looked at this dog and I'm rubbing his belly and he's just like loving it. And I'm like, oh man, this, this is the one, he's ours. And he still is. We, we, we chose him and we took him home. We named him Oliver. And today, after all these years, he's, our, he's still our, our Bernese. He's still our little favorite fur baby. He is 90 pounds of just like, just, he thinks he's a little tiny dog. He's always on top of us. If you come over to our house, he like leans on you. Like he just always wants attention and affection. He's an absolute just gem, amazing first dog. And I love him so much. And I tell him every day, literally every day, someday you're gonna break my heart. And I just love this dog. And, and I love having the opportunity that I had to actually go out and choose him, to pick him, to take him home. And that's what I love about this story, even though I had never experienced it until adulthood. I love this story. And I love all of Dr. Seuss's writing for that, for that, you know, as far as that goes. And I've read many of his stories. I don't think I've read them all, but I've read a lot of them and I've read them numerous times. And here's the thing. The reason I love Dr. Seuss's writing so much is while I understand that his stories are written for kids, the more you read them, the more you realize that his writing is filled with wisdom for children of all ages. And, and this story that we just heard, the, the, he takes this childhood dilemma and he leverages that to teach us all something, regardless of our age, he teaches us all something that we know, but not something that we always remember. It's something that we know in our heads, but it's not always something we remember as we're living out our lives. And I love the fact that he takes this angle to tackle this major life issue. And I think the reason that he does it is because, well, he's a doctor, and he's a genius. Um, but I think the reason that he does it is because Dr. Seuss understands something that many parents in this room understand. And that is this. Animals are great for training our children. You know that? Animals are great for training our children. And I think, you know, Dr. Seuss, he wrote all the stories he wrote, I'm sure, to entertain children. But the more you read them, the more you realize, or at least I do, the more you realize that he was actually providing words to live by for all of us. And in this story specifically, he's talking about, he's talking about two kids who found themselves in a situation where they had an opportunity to choose a pet. And I think what he's doing, as you read between the lines, I think what he's doing is he's trying to teach children responsibility. He's using this story to teach children and to teach the parents that would read this story to their children responsibility. And, and I think the reason that he's doing this, the reason he's teaching this to kids is because Dr. Seuss recognized that what we learn in childhood, what is developed in us in childhood, you know, um, defines and prescribes the way that we're going to function and operate as adults. 
that Dr. Seuss is a master storyteller and he's telling this story about two kids and he's trying to help us see something in this story that the father in this story understands and that many of us understand that don't always remember and don't always live by. And it's simply this, that responsibility is the key. Responsibility is the key to most, not all, I won't go that far, but responsibility is the key to most of life's dreams. That if we don't learn responsibility at a young age, it's probably going to bring us to a point where we're going to be an old dog that won't be able to learn that new trick. And that's why parents look and try to leverage every opportunity they can to teach parents responsibility. Because what you know and what I know as a parent instinctively is, we know what the opposite of training our children to be responsible adults is, don't we? It's training our children to be irresponsible adults. And we can see that as parents in the lives of our kids, but it's very, very, we can even see it in the lives of people we know, people we work with, people we go to school with. We can see irresponsibility, you know, irresponsible in them, but it's very difficult for us to see that in the mirror, isn't it? It's very difficult to look in the mirror and to see irresponsibility because we can justify and excuse our irresponsibility. We have the story to explain why we're so irresponsible no matter what area of life it is. And so Dr. Seuss is trying to teach this to us because responsibility is the key the key to most of life's dreams. And you know this, if, if, you, um, if, if you grew up in a home where your parents were responsible, your mom, or your dad, or maybe you were fortunate enough to have both your parents in the home when you were growing up, um, you know that if they were responsible, um, it, it directly impacted the trajectory of your life, didn't it? That, that being responsible, it not only defines who you are and what you do, but it also impacts and informs the people around you. That again, if your mom or your dad was responsible, it directly impacted and influenced your life. If you work for a responsible person, right? If you work for a responsible person, it changes the way that you view yourself. It impacts the way you view your job, what you do, and it impacts how you perform. If you're dating someone right now and they're a responsible person, that impacts the way that you view yourself and it impacts the quality of your relationship. And here's the thing, the opposite of all that is true, isn't it? And my guess is many of you, if not all of you, have experienced that to one degree or another, the opposite, the side effects of someone's irresponsibility. And, and see, here's the thing, we can see it in other people, but we don't see it in ourselves. And let me just kind of ask you a quick question. And again, I don't, this is one I don't need you to answer out loud, especially if it's in relation to the person you're sitting next to. But my guess is as I look around, and even though I can't see everybody at home right now, my guess is that most of us, if not all of us, have suffered at the hands of someone's irresponsibility. At different stages of life, we have all suffered at the hands of someone's irresponsibility. Maybe it was your mom, maybe it was your dad, maybe it was a relative, a spouse, someone you dated, someone you worked for, that their irresponsibility didn't just impact them, did it? No, it directly impacted you. It affected you. Maybe it still is. See, this is true for all of us, and this is the reason why this is so important and why both Dr. Seuss and Solomon are writing about this. They want us to understand that responsibility is the key to most of life's dreams, and it's not just our dreams. It's the dreams and lives of those people in our lives that we would say we love and care about the most. So Dr. Seuss is trying to help kids see this at a young age, and Dr. Solomon writes to you and I about this very subject as well. Last week, we saw Dr. Solomon. We saw how Solomon became the king of Israel um, at a very young age. His father, David, died, and immediately at around 17 or 18 years old, Solomon was thrust into the position of king. He was overwhelmed, and the minute he became king, God came to him in a dream, and he basically wrote Solomon a blank check, and he said, listen, you could ask me for anything. You ask me for one thing, and you'll have it. 
And amazingly, even though he was overwhelmed being so young and being put in this position of power, even though he was so overwhelmed by it, somehow he had the presence of mind. Somehow he had enough wisdom to know that he needed wisdom. He didn't ask for long life. He didn't ask for a whole bunch of money. He didn't even ask for the death of his enemies. Instead, he asked for wisdom. And this is what is so important. This was God's response to Solomon in light of the opportunity that he took. I wanna show you one more time what God said to Solomon. He said this, Uh, I will, meaning God, God, I will give you, Solomon, a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. So as we can see right here, God is essentially saying to Solomon, I'm gonna make you the wisest person who has ever or will ever live. And that's exactly who he was. He is still considered the wisest man who ever lived. He had incredible God-given wisdom, discernment, and insight into so many different realms of life. Wisdom and insight into the realms of economics, business, family, marriage, relationships, parenting. For every arena of life, he had God-given wisdom and insight. He had incredible words of wisdom to live by. He wrote three books in the Bible. He, He wrote Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Proverbs. And Proverbs is really a collection of wisdom. I tell people all the time, Proverbs is basically like a big book of fortune cookies, right? And if you can just kind of get in the habit of reading one a day, that will greatly impact your life. I believe it will. God will use that to speak to you and to challenge you, to motivate you, to inspire you, to hold you accountable. It's incredible, incredible wisdom. And so in this wisdom, here's Solomon and he begins to speak, even though he can talk about so many different areas of life, he focuses in. And when he begins to talk about responsibility and irresponsibility, I want to draw your attention to what he said. This is incredibly, incredibly powerful. Here's what he says. Like clouds and wind without rain is one who boasts of gifts never given. Now, my guess is you read that and you're like, what? I got to kind of read that again. Like, 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 it, it, like clouds and wind. Like it sounds to me a little bit like the beginning of a soap opera, right? Like sands through the hourglass. So are the days of our lives. Like what in the world is this? What is he saying? What does this have to do with responsibility? And if it's not immediately obvious, what I love to do when it doesn't just kind of jump off at the page, sometimes I look at another translation of the same verse. And that's really helpful as you study the scriptures, kind of read it in one translation and then look at another one. And you can do that, especially on the, on the Bible app that makes it really easy to do. And you can just kind of see in a different wording what the same verse says. And if you look at the message version, this is really great. Here's what the message version translates. This. It says, like billowing clouds that bring no rain is the person who talks big, but never produces. Now that's a little clearer, isn't it? That, that, should, that should help us. Dr. Seuss, he leveraged childhood dilemmas to teach children stories. And in the same way, Dr. Solomon leverages something that everybody understood externally to help them see something that they needed to see internally. That, that he was kind of, as he was teaching these people in an agricultural society, he helps them see something they need to see on the inside based on something everybody immediately would get on the outside. And that is every single one of us is dependent on the soil being nurtured by the rain. That, that, that the, the rain is required to grow the seed. That, that this is like essential. This is the life source for life. This, this is essential to life, that if you're going to raise the crop to become food for the animals, it requires rain. And so Solomon, as he's speaking about this, he says, like big clouds that kind of come by and pass by, they're filled with hope and promise. And the hope and the promise in the clouds is you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay because the rain is going to come. Everything's going to work out. We're going to get what we need. We're going to be okay. But 
If those clouds come and it doesn't rain, the promise passes and the hope goes unfilled. It's like billowing clouds that come by but never produce and Solomon stops and he says, that is what someone is like who talks big, who makes big promises, who boasts about a lot of different things but never produces. It's like clouds full of promise that don't produce rain. So is the person who is irresponsible. Oh man, they can talk. They can talk all day. They can talk big dreams, big ideas. They can tell big stories and they can boast of promises, but they don't do anything. They talk about the places they're gonna go, the things they're gonna do and see, the type of person they're gonna be for you, but they don't do anything. They are like a cloud that passes by that never produces rain. What Solomon is trying to tell you, what he's trying to tell me is something that I think most of us, if not all of us, can understand. And it's this, irresponsible people are full of promise, but they produce nothing promising. Isn't that true? When I first started writing this message and I kind of did my first draft, I actually stopped at this, but they produce nothing. But the more I thought about it, I realized, no, they do produce something. It's just nothing promising. And in the end, more often than not, what they end up producing is frustration, hurt, and pain. This is so important for all of us. Dr. Seuss recognized this and tried to leverage his writing. He tried to leverage storytelling to help children understand this at a young age. And Solomon in his God-given wisdom is speaking to you and speaking to me all these years later, trying to help us see how important responsibility is and how damaging irresponsibility it is. So much so that he would talk about this same thing in a number of different ways, and I want to show you. It's his way of saying the same thing in a different way. Here's what he said. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Now, I highlighted a bunch of words here because this is super, super important. The integrity, the character, the responsibility of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. The unfaithful, the, the, the irresponsible, they are destroyed by their duplicity. They are destroyed by saying one thing and living the opposite, promoting one thing and celebrating the opposite. And let's be real. This is the culture that we live in, a culture that celebrates and promotes one thing, but lives and celebrates the opposite. And my guess is we're all at risk of this, maybe even guilty of this, Let's don't be condescending. Let's not just say, oh yeah, that's out in the world somewhere. No, 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 no. This is in all of us, that we all have the potential to be duplicitous. And no matter the arena of life, no matter age and stage, no matter what you do or don't believe, all of us, all of us have it in us to say one thing and do the opposite. We all have the potential in us to be duplicitous, to promote one thing and to celebrate another. Duplicitous means that there's a conflict within. It's the thing where you know what the right thing is to do, but you want to do, or you end up doing the opposite. It's duplicitous. And not only is it in us all to do that, we've all been the victims of someone's duplicity, haven't we? We've all been the victim where someone said that they were gonna do something, but because of their irresponsibility, they did the opposite. Irresponsibility can blow up your life and maybe it has, and so too your responsibility can build up your life and the lives of others. This is so important. It's why Dr. Seuss wrote about it to children and why Solomon in his God-given wisdom continues to speak about it. He's teaching responsibility. That no matter what you know, pet you pick, no matter what decision you make in any arena of life, at the end of the day, responsibility boils down to two words. You can sum up responsibility in two words, pick 
and stick, right? Pick and stick. That if you were to basically take responsibility and bring it down to its essential, whatever it is, it's seizing the opportunity to pick and it's having the character to stick. And irresponsible people, man, they love, they love picking. They love taking that opportunity to choose, but they don't have the character to stick. And that's what Dr. Seuss was getting across in this amazing story. What pet should I get? Let's look at it a little bit closer. We want a pet. We want a pet. What kind of pet should we get? That's the question. That's the thing that's driving this whole thing. This is the situation these two kids find themselves in. Dad said that we could have one. Dad gave us the parameters. Dad gave us the guidelines for this decision. And dad said that he would pay. Dad said that he would assume the responsibility of paying for this pet. So I went to the pet shop. I went there with Kay. This is the setup for this story. And the rest of this incredibly funny, cute story is the story of these two kids and their journey where they have to make up their mind, right? Don't you love that? Do you ever, ever get to that place? You're like, I just don't want to, I don't know. Then I looked at Kay. Then I looked at Kay, he said, and I said, what will we do? Ever been there? What will we do? What will we do? I like all the pets that I see. So do you, just like Lisa and I. We saw all these beautiful Bernies. We wanted them all. What are we going to do? What are we, there's all this tension. There's this stress arriving because there's so many options and they all are appealing. I want them all. And the kid says, we have to pick. We have to pick what pet and pick it out soon. So, there's the tension. What if you've done this? You start to kind of think and place scenarios in your mind. What if we took one of each kind of pet? Then our house would be full of the pets we would get. In other words, let's just take them all, right? Ever, ever been there? There's so many options. You're like, we're just going to do it all. We're going to buy it all. We're, we're, we're going to go out there. We're going to do everything. No, 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 no. Dad would be mad. We can only have one. If we do not choose, we will end up with none. This father is trying to teach his two children decision-making. And Dr. Seuss tells this story because he's trying to help us as readers see something that we all know, but very quickly forget. That no matter the age and stage, when it comes to responsibility, again, no matter the arena of life, when it comes to being responsible, we have to acknowledge and understand this simple truth. Wants have limits. When it comes to being responsible versus being irresponsible, it boils down to wants have limits. We're not going to have a house full of pets. Now, if you do, that's not a slam on you. I'm just saying that's what this dad is trying to like. Wants have to have limits. And I believe that if you're going to be happy in life, you have to learn to live without something. You're just going to have to. You're going to have to learn to live without things because if you don't, you're going to come to the conclusion that the only way to be happy is to have everything, but nobody has everything, which means nobody could ever be happy, which means you're going to be like a little hamster on a wheel that is continually chasing this thing that you can never catch. And it's always going to be the next. It's going to be the next, and it's going to be the next, and it's going to be the next, and then I'll be happy, and then I'll be happy. And you just never, you just never get there. And again, we can see this so clearly in the lives of our children. We can see this in the lives of people very clearly that we work with, people that we go to school with, maybe even the person you date, maybe it's someone in your family. Like you can see how irresponsibility plays out in their life, but it is very, very difficult to see wants have limits in our own lives. But we have to get there. It's okay to have wants. Believe me, it's okay to have wants. You have wants, I have wants. We all have wants, and that's great. But living without limits is dangerous. It's foolish. Unlimited is irresponsible. 
If you don't live with limits, it leads to destruction and disaster, no matter the arena of life. If you live without limits, it leads to expectations that can't be met, right? It leads to, to debts that can't be erased. It leads to things that, are, that bind us, like addictions that can't be broken. It leads to relationships that can't be restored. Wants have to have limits. And not only that, not only do wants have to have limits, but we also have to acknowledge the reality that there is pressure in picking. There's just pressure in picking. And my guess is you know what that's like. There are some of you that get in those situations, you're like, I don't want to pick. I don't want to pick. You decide, you choose, you pick. I don't want to, I don't want to do that. There's pressure in picking. And in this story, these two kids are confronted with all these animals that they want. Then to have them all would be fun, but they can only pick one, right? And, and we've seen this in the lives of others that when that, that situation happens, when that stress arises, when that pressure increases, Kids look to mom and dad to erase that pressure, don't they? They look to mom and dad to alleviate that pressure by buying them everything that they want. And my guess is you've probably seen that, whether it's mom or dad or grandma and grandpa, and you've seen them kind of do this to try to get rid of the pressure. And I've seen this in my own kids' lives. I have a 16-year-old daughter named Emma. I've seen her do this for a number of years. She doesn't do this so much now, but I'm definitely seeing it in our four-year-old son, Parker where for years, Emma, she would be somewhere and we would see some things that she wanted and she would kind of boil it down at the end of the day to three and then two. And then you know what she'd do? She would sit there with these two things and she would hem and haw. Hmm, hmm, hmm. And you know what she's doing? She's stalling. She's stalling because she knows she's got dad wrapped. And she's like, if I just stall this thing out just a little bit longer, dad will remove the pressure by buying me both of them. And there are times where I've been guilty of that, but parents, we can't remove the pressure of picking. We have to be responsible parents and teach our children that wants have limits and that there is pressure in picking. And if they don't learn that when they're young, chances are they're gonna end up as adults like you and I, and they're gonna have a really, really difficult time in life. And they're gonna find themselves with debt they can't get out of. They're gonna find themselves with expectations they're not gonna be able to meet or expectations they have of other people that they're never gonna be able to meet. And they're gonna be constantly frustrated and they're gonna blow up their lives. We can see that in their lives. We can see that in the lives of the people we know, maybe the people we work with, but again, the people we date, the people we go to school with, but it's so hard to see this in the mirror. And one way to see it quickly is if you ever find yourself saying this, and my guess is there are some of you that say this a lot. Maybe you're sitting next to somebody who says this a lot. Why do I have to be the one deciding? Ever been there? You're with someone? We've got, which movie do you want to see? Where do you want to go to eat? What do you want to do today? What would you, uh, huh? why do I have you, you, I want you to remove this pressure because I have not learned the, I do not have the ability. It wasn't developed in me from an early age to be able to decide. And we say it's something about personality or it's this, I'm just not wired that way. In part, that may be true, but to a greater degree, it's because responsibility was not something that was built into us. And consequently, as adults, we don't know how to function in the pressure of the decisions we make because every arena of life the older you get, you're going to find this more and more and more that in every arena of life, in every circumstance, there are decisions to be made. And oftentimes those decisions have to be made under and in pressure, but we cannot escape. We have to assume the responsibility of picking and we have to understand that it doesn't end there, even though that's where this book ends. I kind of wish that Dr. Seuss had written part two 
of this story because what pet should I get actually ends with the two kids picking a pet and taking it home. We don't know which one they chose. Um, we just see the little eyes. We don't know what they chose. We don't know what they took home. But, but here's the thing that, that you know, there, there should have been another book because not only are you and I responsible to pick, but we are also responsible to stick, right? Not only do we have to seize the opportunity to pick, but we have to have the character. We have to be responsible enough to stick. In other words, and you already know this, part two of this book is now you got to take care of the pet, right? Am I right? You, now you got to take care of this pet. You got to do something. And here's what you and I know. And here's why part two of this book would be incredibly important. I might even write it myself, but here's what we all know again, but we fail to acknowledge in our lives by the way that we live sometimes, no matter the arena of life, every decision, decisions have duties. Decisions have duties. Every decision in every area of your life, no matter the decisions you make, no matter what you believe, decisions have duties. That life isn't just about running around and doing and choosing whatever you want. And then when you get bored or then when you get tired of it or you see something else, you just kind of move on. It's irresponsible to make decisions and make commitments and not see them or follow or care for them or follow them through. It's irresponsible when you're young and you pick out a pet And it's irresponsible as an adult when you say yes to a deal, yes to a job, yes to a relationship, yes to an opportunity, and you don't see it through. And sometimes the the consequences are small, so it doesn't seem as big a deal as it is. It's just like, oh, it's just a few minutes late. It's not really that big a deal. But sometimes when the consequences are big or when the consequences impact or happen to you, it's then that we realize how important being responsible and sticking is decisions have duties. And like most of, if not all of life's lessons, I have to acknowledge, we're all friends here, right? I have to admit and acknowledge that this is a lesson that I learned the hard way. Most of that's life lessons are that way for me, but I learned this lesson the hard way. After graduating high school, the summer after I graduated high school, I was, uh, I was working three jobs trying to save money to go off to college. I, I worked at a grocery store. I was a private landscaper for a wealthy family. And then the third job I had was, it was a glamorous job. Um, I had the job of sweeping the streets of a village near where I grew up. Oh yeah, sounds awesome, right? I, that's what I did. I was a street sweeper. This little village did not have that big machine that goes by the sidewalks that sweep all the streets. Oh no, they had me and a push broom. And, and literally that's what I did. I had this job. They gave me a specific window of time and they gave me a certain amount of money. And they said, well, what you want you to do is on both sides of these roads, we want you to sweep these streets and every 50, 60 feet, we want you to leave a pile. And then somebody from the village is going to come by with a truck and a shovel and they're going to remove these piles of dirt that you've swept up. That was the gig. Wow. You guys really scored with me, didn't you? Like that, that's kind of, so, so this is what I was doing. And as, as the window of time where I had to get this job done was winding to a close, I was kind of getting more and more pressure. I had to get out there. I had to work longer days because I had to get this done. And this one day I was out there just sweeping and it felt like I swept the same spot for like three hours. I was like, man, this isn't getting anywhere. It was so frustrating. And just as I was kind of in this vibe, two guys that I knew really well um, pulled up on the side of the road beside me and they're like, hey man, how's it going? I, I thought they were going to mock me. So I was like, yeah, whatever. And they're like, hey, are you coming to the party at the lake? And I was like, oh yeah, that's today. I'm like, no, I, I can't go. I got to do this thing. And, you know, uh, and, and you're trying to make it all cool, but you just can't cool that up. It's like, it is what it is, right? So I'm like, yeah, so I, you know, I got to do this. And I'm like, man, I can't go. And then they, then they did this thing and it really just irked me. They, 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 they did the line that you've heard before, but everybody's going to be there. Implication being, if you're not there, 
you are the only one who's not going to be there. And so instantly this FOMO, this fear of missing out welled up inside me. And I'm like, oh man. And then I became resentful of this job. I'm like, man, why did I say yes? This stupid village, I'm never coming back here. And I can't believe I'm doing like, "Ah." so they were gone. And I was left to think about all the fun everybody was having. I was so frustrated, annoyed. And then in the distance, I saw these two probably middle school age guys coming towards me on bicycles. Now, I've been known um, to be a little bit of a schemer. Um, Entrepreneurial is the way I like to put it. And and, and so as I saw these two guys coming towards me in the distance, I was like, a light bulb went off in my head. I'm like, hey, guys. And they they came over to me and and, and I said, what are you guys guys up to? Like, oh, nothing. I I said, you guys want to make some money? They're like, doing what? And I said, listen, here's the the gig, man. Um, All you guys got to do is you just take these brooms and I need you guys to sweep you know, all the way to there and, you know, leave a few piles here and there. And, and that's all you got to do. And I'll give you each 50 bucks. And they were like, done. I was like, yes. <laughs> they were, I was like, you idiots. But anyway, so, so I was like, you're going to be here all day. Like you're basically working for $2 an hour. It's great. So, so they, they, they were, they were fine to do it. And so I left them and I never thought about them again. And I went to the party and I had the time of my life. I didn't think about those streets. I didn't think about those brooms. I didn't think about nothing until Monday morning when I got a phone call from one of the people in the office at the village and they said, could you come in? I said, sure. And so uh, I went in and <clears throat> they said, um, yeah, so there's a bit of a problem. I said, okay. And, and so apparently my two young apprentices um, didn't, didn't take instruction well and, 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 and they swept, they did the job, um, but they left nothing behind which was the problem. They were supposed to leave stuff behind, but there was nothing to be found. So what they had done is these two geniuses came up with the idea that rather than leaving these piles, they were going to sweep all this dirt into a culvert and they ended up backing it up. And so they're telling me this, what had happened. And they told me, you, me, are responsible. Not responsible to fix it, just responsible to pay for it. So now all that money that I had earned and the money that I shelled out to these two winners, it was all gone. Everything that I'd worked for for that whole summer instantly like that was gone. Decisions have duties. Every decision, no matter the arena of life, when you make a commitment, when you make a promise, that promise comes with a duty. It does for you. It does for me. And that's why as parents, we're trying to teach our children. That's why we give them the opportunity to pick. And here's how we say it. We understand we're teaching them responsibility and we're giving them the opportunity. We usually start out with a goldfish, right? We start out with a goldfish because that's short-lived. But, but anyways, we're trying to help them understand that when they pick, that decision comes with a promise. And the way we say it is, it's up to you. You have to feed it. You have to water it. You have to pick up after it. You have to groom it. It's your responsibility. We tell them that in the pet shop and in the pet shop, they're all full of promises, right? They're full of promises. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it, I promise. And then what happens? You get the thing home and a couple days later, they completely forget. They don't assume or understand the responsibility that comes with the decision that they've just made and who ends up taking care of that pet. Mom, dad, right? That's the point. We can see this in the lives of our kids. We can see it in the lives of other people very clearly, but we do not see it in the mirror. We do not see it in the mirror. And here's the thing, we hate it. I know you do. You hate it when someone else's irresponsibility impacts you, don't you? 
but how quickly and easily we can justify our own irresponsibility and the impact that it has on the people that we would say we love and care about the most. And Solomon in his God-given wisdom would say, that's duplicitous. It's dangerous. It's destructive, right? It causes tension. It, it breaks trust. It, it causes division. It leads to destruction, Solomon in his God-given wisdom would tell you and would tell me what we already know and maybe what we've caused other people to know, sadly. And it's simply this, and this is the bottom line, a person's irresponsibility, you know this, a person's irresponsibility will always, always, will always become someone else's responsibility. Every single time, a person's irresponsibility, your irresponsibility, my irresponsibility will always become someone else's responsibility. And come on, let me ask you, do you want to live in a world where everybody gets to be irresponsible? Where everybody gets to act just like you, that if you're going to be responsible, I get to be responsible? No one wants that world to exist, but we all live as though we do. Now, that's why Dr. Seuss tried to teach this to kids and why Solomon in his God-given wisdom and insight is trying to help us see and why he continues to say it yet another way. He says, he who gathers crops, he who gathers crops in summer is a prudent son. Again, he's using agricultural language to make a point. He who gathers crops in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. The irresponsible and the responsible and all he's trying to say to you and me is simply this. Everybody wants to eat but not everybody wants to work. The irresponsible want to eat, but they don't necessarily want to work. And my guess is you were once that person, right? Do you remember when we were younger? Remember sitting at the table, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, somebody made a meal. And after the meal, someone said, okay, kids, it's time to clean up. And what did we say? Do we have to? Anybody remember that? Am I the only one who said that? Okay, thank you for that hand. I see that hand. Give that kid a cookie. Do we have to, right? How many of your kids say that? You tell them to do something. Do we have to? Yes. Yes, you have to. Why? Because we are not going to live in a world where the assumption is and the expectation is I have to be responsible, but that you don't have to assume or live with any responsibility. We live in a duplicitous world, a world that prints and promotes one thing and then celebrates another, a, a world, a, a culture that, that promotes responsibility and then celebrates irresponsibility. And Solomon in his God-given wisdom, as we saw last week, said, trust in the Lord with all your heart and acknowledge him, him, Acknowledge him in all your ways. And one of the ways we acknowledge him in all of our ways is living counterculture and living responsibly because responsible will build up your life and the lives of those you care about most and irresponsible will blow up your life and theirs. So this isn't new. This isn't something you came in and were like, I never knew that. Wow, he's brilliant. I'm sure you're not thinking that, but... Does your life reflect what you know? How responsible are you really? Responsibility isn't in here. It's in here and it's how you live your life and it's how I live my life. And so as we close, I wanna ask you three simple questions and they're not, 
There are simple questions to ask, but they're not simple or easy questions to answer. And I don't expect a raising of hands. I don't expect you to have the answer right now, though for some of them you might. But these are questions that I hope that you will not just hear, but these are questions that you will reflect on throughout the day, maybe throughout the week. And eventually my hope and my prayer is that God would use your time of reflection on these questions to speak to you, to convict you, to challenge you, to motivate you to live, even if you didn't grow up learning how to be responsible, that you would allow the Holy Spirit of God to create in you a heart that is yearning and desiring to become more responsible in light of the decisions and the opportunities and the privileges you have to make. So here are the three questions. Number one, in what area of your life, in what area of your life are you being irresponsible? If you're anything like me, my guess is the answer is multiple. My guess is maybe even now, you know some of those areas right away. And yeah, you can rush and justify and you can give explanation and story. No, 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 no. In what area of your life are you being irresponsible? In what area of your life have you said yes? In what area of your life have you made promises? In what area of your life have you made boasts? And I will, and I will never. What area of your life are you being irresponsible? Because you've said one thing, but you've lived out the opposite. In what area of your life? Come on. Question number two is what could you do today? What could you do today to assume more responsibility? What could you do? And don't be like, well, if they did this, then and if they don't, and I, no, 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 no. This is about you. What could you do? What could you do today to assume more responsibility? And then the obvious question I want to leave you with is this. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what area of life it is for you. Maybe it's in your relationship with God. Maybe you've for different reasons in your life. And maybe even today you're making promises to God, but you need to begin with living a life of obedience to God. Not just making boast, God, if you do this, then I'll, no, 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 no. What, what if in that area of your life, you need to respond, you need to begin living out and living with obedience. Maybe it's in some sort of promise or commitment that you've made. And maybe you need to follow through on that. Maybe you need to just step up. And you, you, said, you said you were gonna do this. You said you were gonna stop doing that. Now you just need to do it. And for some of you, that may come with a cost. For some of you, that may require you to sacrifice something. That may cause you to miss the party at the lake. I don't know what it is for you, but there's something in your life that you need to see through. You need to shore up. You need to follow through on what you said. You're not gonna be duplicitous because Solomon said, that's dangerous and it's destructive and God wants more for you and from you than that. He wants you to be responsible. He wants me to be responsible. So whatever I got to do to see this through, because I said I was going to do it, I'm going to do it no matter the cost. Maybe for you, it's in your fitness. I don't know. Maybe it's in your finances. Maybe it's in your moral character. Here's the question. Here's the question. When you make a commitment, when you make a promise, can you be counted on? Are you the type of person that what you say you will do? If not, you're irresponsible. Just acknowledge it, own it, and choose to do today what you can do to move forward as a responsible, not adult, but a responsible child of God. That's what he wants for you. That's what he wants for me. So I want to pray for you today. Because I know that in a few minutes, you're going to walk out these doors back into your reality, back into your relationships, back into your excuses, back into whatever it is you do or don't do. 
And my hope and prayer is that the Holy Spirit of God would speak to you and challenge you to live a life of responsibility because it's not just your dreams that your responsibility hinges on. It's the lives and the dreams of those people in your life that you would say you love and care about most. And I hope and pray that God would use these questions as you reflect on them to speak to you because he will meet you where you are, but I promise you, he won't leave you there. So let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, I wanna thank you for the chance again to, to just look at life, to talk about real life, to talk about the reality in most of our lives that we all find ourselves in situations and circumstances and dynamics and relationships where there, there are decisions to be made, there are promises that have been made. And sometimes, God, we are not responsible enough to see them through. And Father, I pray that you'd help each person in this room and each person at home today just to own that to acknowledge that, to stop making excuses and giving justifications, but to just own it. That maybe today there are some conversations that are gonna happen within couples' relationships. Maybe a mom or a dad is gonna talk to their son or daughter. Maybe a grandma or grandpa is gonna come by and just say, look, I said I was gonna, and I haven't. Would you forgive me? And I'm gonna start. I'm gonna have to start small, but I'm gonna see this through. God, I pray that you'd help us to get to that place because we live in a world where we don't see that every day, but you've called us to live and be so much different than this world. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would give us the courage, the wisdom to see it, but the courage to do something about it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. If you have any questions, you're looking for ways to take your next step, please visit us on our website, bridgechurches.ca. Much love. God bless.